Hi, this is Danielle from The Jealous Curator, and this is episode 144 of Art for Your Ear. This episode is brought to you by SachiArt.com, the world's largest curated online gallery offering original work and limited edition prints by independent artists from around the world. And throughout the fall, keep your eyes open for Saatchi's The Other Art Fair in a whole bunch of cities. Chicago is happening this weekend, followed by London and then L.A. in October, and finally Brooklyn in November. To find dates, locations, and more, pop over to theotherartfair.com. Okay, so today's episode is all about danger. Kind of. (laughs) I met Charles Wilkin, a very accomplished graphic designer and collage artist from New York, this past summer in New Orleans at Collage Fest. His talk was smart, insightful, and funny, so clearly I went up, introduced myself, and begged him to be on the podcast. Okay, let's hear some smart, insightful, funny stories about danger, shall we? Calling Charles in New York. Hi, Charles. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Awesome. Well, the last time... What's that? I said it's a little rain here in the Catskills, but, you know... Oh, well, that's nicer than the last time I saw you where it was New Orleans and so, 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 so hot. I know. And, you know, the thing is, I had never been there. And we went to this... My husband, Martin, and I went to this amazing place called The Joint Mm -hmm. and had seriously kick-ass barbecue and then stupidly walked 12 blocks in the heat of the afternoon. And I was looking around for a trash can because I just wanted to throw up. <laughs> it was so hot. Um, it was but then so- we found cocktails and it was totally fine. So <laughs> That's the great thing about New Orleans. They know that. So they've know. got the cocktails at the ready. I feel like there's, there's just vans that drive around. They're like, would you like some weed and cocktails? <laughs> I mean... Well, that's what helps helps make it all tolerable, you see. I guess oh, my gosh. So. I was so hot, too. By the end, like, uh, after I did my talk on whatever night that was, Friday or something, Saturday, I went outside to grab an Uber. I was so hot. I got into the car, and I just, like, so, suddenly was, like, crazy dizzy spells, and yeah. uh, my neck was all stiff. Like, I, I, like, all this crazy stuff. I went home, flew home the next morning, still so sick, and I thought do I have meningitis? Like, am I dying from, did I catch well, the Bayou flu or like some, I just made that up, but that could be a thing. And it was he- heat exhaustion. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. I, that's how I felt after I ate all that barbecue. <laughs> well, I also may have had too many. Um, did you have any of those um, watermelon jalapeno cocktails at that? Um, did, well, you go, did you go to that talk, that amalgamation talk? No, I didn't go. Oh, well, yeah, at the place. It was at a little, um, at a restaurant called Silk Road, and they had these, uh-huh. yeah, watermelon jalapeno-infused margaritas. Wow. So that might well, have actually I... been what pushed me over the edge. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> See, I steer clear of tequila because, you know, in recent years, it, it makes me want to kill people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's good. I just somehow, you know, I used to love a margarita and having many and then I don't know maybe like 10 years ago I just suddenly flipped some switch in me and it was like made me super angry like all the time at everyone wow so I just I don't drink it anymore I don't su- bad news well yeah I, d- I don't suppose you watch Vanderpump Rules no oh it's a terrible show like a reality show out of LA and there's um about these servers that work at this restaurant and um 
one of the girls drinks tequila and gets very, very angry. And so when she's yeah. like that, they refer to her as um, uh, Tequila Katie because that's when you oh, know okay, that, yeah. like, bad things. So you could be Tequila Charles and it's like, get out of oh, his way. Uh, I feel like, yeah, that could be me. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about your art. So sure. first of all, I love, 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 love oh, your artwork. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I heard you talk at... Um, collage fest about some very interesting things which we are going to get to later but I okay. always start my podcast by finding out what people were like when they were little so okay. were you um, chopping up magazines what, what were you artsy what were you doing when you were a kid and where did you grow up well I grew up on Grand Island uh, New York which is basically it looks like old-fashioned pork chop you know bone-in pork chop <laughs> yeah. and it's a it's a large island in the Niagara River between uh, Buffalo and Ontario, Canada. So that's where I grew up. So on the west side of the island was literally Canada, half a mile away. Yeah. Uh, And then on the other side was the ugly refineries of Buffalo, New York. Mm. Um, But the suburb was was very rural, uh, lots of rich people on the outskirts with the, you know, their boat docks and stuff. And then inside, uh, it was just very rural. And my parents had two and a quarter acres and my dad farmed um, about a, an acre of it. So there were five kids in my in my family. So um, where are you, know, you in the lineup? I'm second to last. Okay. So, but there's six years between me and my brother, oh. uh, my old brother. So it's my uh, Maureen, Mary, Jim are my oldest, and then me, and then my younger brother Dan. Oh, okay. So yeah. So by the time my parents got to me, I feel like I could just pretty much do whatever I wanted. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, my parents seemed kind of exhausted, so, um, yeah, they just let me do whatever I wanted to, uh, within reason, I guess, but, um, yeah, by that point, you're not, you're just like, yeah, they're good, they'll survive, it's fine. Well, my mom, you know, I, it came to light before my mom died in 2005 that, you know, my mom basically said, oh, well, we had your brother, you know, to, um, so you'd have somebody to play with, and, you know, at first I was like, well, that's really odd, and then I was like, oh, that's really sweet. But um, really, my mom had this t- this thing that she would often say, like, uh, she would open the front door and she'd say, boys, in or out? And you had to choose. If you decided inside, then, you know, you had to, you know, occupy your time. But if you chose outside, she'd be like, dinner's at five o'clock. See you later. Yeah. And, you know, we would just ride our bikes all over. Um, you know, it was pretty safe. And uh, so we'd ride our bikes in the woods and build forts and do all kinds of things. And, um, so I, I feel like that sort of really helped my imagination Mm -hmm. a lot and my creativity because literally I had to amuse myself, um, for the whole day because she was not seriously not going to let us back in the house. I mean, obviously (laughs) if if we were hurt or whatever or hungry, she'd let us in, but you know, um, you'd made your uh, choice. Right. Yeah. You're out. Yeah. I stuck to it. And, um, but at the same time, my parents also definitely encouraged my creativity. And I always felt like an, a weirdo in my family because I was not, there were no other creative people. Hmm. Um, you know, my dad was a computer programmer. And I think that that's a math creativity there, but um, it not certainly not artistic. And the only one that I can remember in my family that anyone mentioned having creative or like visual talent would have been my great grandmother and she painted china and watch faces in illinois 
like at a watch factory. Wow. Um, yeah, like super tiny. Um, and so I have a couple of her porcelain pieces that she hand painted with like fruit on them. They're they're quite spectacular. Wow. But, um, so that's where it sort of comes from, I guess. But honestly, my my honest recollection of my very first collages were uh, we used to have these bins of toys and my mom would just let us, you know, dive in there. And I used to just make crazy collages with my sister's um, Barbie fashion plates. Oh, I loved that. I would put, I would like put the tops on the bottoms and the skirts in different places. And my mom would always be like, honey, the skirt goes on the bottom. And I'm just, (laughs) why? Why? Put it on top. It's like a parachute. You know, and so I just, I, and you know, my parents indulged me in that nonsense. That so, is so great. And, and were you making was, art in school and stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my first art award ever was I won for Fire Prevention Week, you know, at the local <laughs> fire department yeah. for some drawing I made, you know, how to save lives, like run out of the house. <laughs> so, you know, I still have that little certificate. Oh, and, my God. Uh, but you know what it was? And I think I won like $10 or something, and then I went and blew it all on bubble gum. You know? Sure. Well, that's a good sound investment, though, I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, after that moment, I think my parents honestly took my creativity seriously because whenever I said I wanted to do something like drawing or painting or play the guitar or learn the piano, like my parents definitely let me try it. You oh, know? that's so great. And um, and never made me feel bad about it, even though the rest of my siblings were not even interested in any of that. Um, hmm. You know, whose whose grandmother would that have been that was painting the watch faces? That would have been my dad's, my dad's, dad's grandmother. My dad's grandmother. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's so interesting. That's that's fantastic. That you know, considering you were the sort of the only one, that they were like, okay, let's just let this kid do his thing. Yeah. And so did you and, think that you would be a design? Like, when did you think, oh, I'll be a graphic designer? Well, you know, it, um, I would say, you know, I, I really focused on school, like uh, art classes in school. And mm-hmm. so um, I'd say the graphic design didn't really happen until maybe like high school. Yeah. Um, because in high school, by the time I got to be like a junior, I had taken all the art classes that were possible. <laughs> and I would go to my counselor and I'd be like, what else can I take? And they'd be like, nothing, just take drawing one again. So I would take these classes and, you know, the art teachers I had there were amazing and they would just give me more advanced things to do, mm-hmm. um, even though I'm like in a basic drawing class. And then by my junior year, I realized that I could go to this vocational school um, called BOCES, which is a terrible name. Um, but in New York State, it's, it stands for something, but I, I can't remember what it is. <laughs> and there, you could learn a trade. So it was like cosmetology, uh, auto repair, plumbing, graphic design, you know, carpentry. So I decided, okay, well, I got nothing else to take at this school. So I took that class. And, you know, it was an awesome class because there were all these kids from all these different school districts in Buffalo and we all learned graphic design together. You know, I learned in high how to, school. In high school. Wow. It was considered a trade. 
and I learned how to do mechanicals. I learned how to do RubyLith. I learned how to spec type and take pictures with cameras and retouch them, you know, in a weird way, like on a stat camera. Yeah. Um, like all these really old-fashioned things. I learned how to use a wax machine to, like, glue things down, um, which, you know, I think was a beginning of some sort of collage there. Yeah. Because, because the mechanicals were totally collages. I mean, let's be real about it. Yeah, layers and, yeah, all, cutting it all out. And, yeah. And wow. we learned silk, silk screen. So, you know, so I took that junior and senior year of my high school, and what was funny is my art teachers at my home high school hated the fact that I was taking this, these classes. And um, they were like, you are an artist, and one day you are going to wake up and realize that you made a mistake taking those graphic design classes. <laughs> and that's verbatim what my one art teacher told me. He was livid that I was, like, considering being a commercial artist. Wow. Like, just that you were selling out, or what? Well, he just thought, he was like, it's going to be an unfulfilling career, and you are not going to like it. He's like, you, and you're going to waste your talent on things that don't matter. And the ironic thing is, is, like, after all these years of doing graphic design, I totally think he was right, you know? (laughs) Because I I did graphic design for a long time. Um, you know, I graduated in 92 from the Columbus College of Art and Design. Amazing school. Totally recommend it. Um, and I started doing graphic design after that. And I didn't stop. I mean, I still do it now, but very little of it. Um, but, okay, so when he said that, though, you would have been, like, what, 16, 17? Oh, yeah, I was definitely, like, yeah. 16, and what did you 17. think when he said that? Did it throw um, you off at all? Or were you like, no, I'm going to prove you wrong? Or like, what did you think? I didn't understand why he was saying that because I didn't, you know, I think at that point, like, I didn't, I didn't see myself as a graphic designer. I was just taking classes that were new to me and I wanted to learn more. Right. And I didn't see it yet, see it as a career. Um, that's so, so funny. I, think, I wonder if he was like projecting, like, I wonder if he wished he hadn't become a teacher or something like. Yeah, it's very you know? strange. Yeah. But, you know, the, the other thing that I find really funny and interesting is even when I got to college there, um, you know, the first year they just throw you into all these classes and they see what sticks. Right. Yeah. Um, but the sophomore year, like you have to pick a major and I chose graphic design and advertising and I moved through that. You know, but at the same time, in that school, they make you take four years of painting, four years of drawing. You know, they make you yeah. take all the basics for classic art making, right? And um, But at the same time, um, the majors are very defined there, at least they were when I went there. And I would take photography classes because I was like, okay, if I'm going to do advertising and graphic design, i got to know how to use a camera and how to art direct photographers if I'm going to hire them. Right. But I would sit there in the photo class, and they would make fun of me for being a graphic designer. Like, like, why are you in this class? You don't belong here. Um, and I think that was one of those things. Should we stop this? Okay. <laughs> sure. Hey, Mark, can you answer the phone? <laughs> I, have a, I have a doctor's appointment, and they want me oh. to go for an x-ray. No, oh. it's fine. It's fine. It's like weeks away. It doesn't matter. Anyway, so um, 
Yeah, it was very funny. Like, I just, um... And how did you feel about that when they were making fun of you? I thought that was stupid. Yeah. Because I'm like, I'm like, listen. And I pulled the instructor aside. I was like, hey, listen, I'm not planning on being a photographer. I just want to know what it's about so that if I do end up being an art director, like, I would like to know how it works so that I can offer jobs and understand photography in a way that I, so I can communicate with the photographer. Yeah. Like, it just, it just seemed logical to me. Yeah, that's so smart. Right. And what did he say? Well, he was like, you suck at lighting and you should just stop. Like, you should just quit the studio class. And I was like, <laughs> okay, well, agreed. I do suck at lead lighting. But, you know, can you help me? And they just, I don't know, he didn't want to help me. So I ended up, like, letting go of that major. Wow. But, That's but this is a set. I know, it's crazy. terrible, right? Yeah. So, But there's two things in, in this little funny story is I've often found that in the creative world, everyone wants to segment things and put a label on you. Yeah. Like, you're a fine artist, you're a painter, you're a sculptor, you're a graphic designer, whatever. And I just felt like when I got out of school, um, I had learned every possible thing that I could out of that place, which is why I think it's a great school despite my, my weird experiences. And I just felt like creativity doesn't have any bounds and... I think putting a limit on it, saying, I'm just a graphic designer, I think really takes away from the fact that, like, what makes you a great graphic designer is that you pull from these other skills as an artist and a creative person. Absolutely. And, you know, when I taught for a little while typography at that same school, and I used to get kids in there and say, I'm a painter. And I was like, well, you're going to sit down and you're going to listen to everything I have to say because you call it composition and I call it graphic design. It's the same thing. Yeah. You know? And so what you're going to learn in this class, you know, you can apply into your fine artwork. You know, if you stop reading the words and stop reading the letters and look at them simply as shape, yeah. aren't talking about the same thing, right? So I, I think early on in my career, I just felt so... I felt like I was being shoveled and confined into different pockets. And so that was a big part of why I started my own design studio, um, you know, automatic art and design, because I just wanted, I wanted to break the rules. I wanted to break the mold. I wanted to be free to not only express myself personally through my graphic design, but use my personal work in the design work that I was making and then sell it to clients. Yeah. So smart. And why not? Did you do that quite early on or did you work for other people for a while first? Well, when I graduated in 92, there were no jobs. So I freelanced. I joined a local design club, and I made some connections, and I started freelancing. Um, and you were in and New York, or where were in, you? In Columbus, Ohio. Oh, okay. And, um, and I worked in the fashion industry. The, the Limited was there, and so um, mm. I worked Limited, Express, Abercrombie, Bath & Body Works, Victoria's Secret. Ab, you know, I worked at all those companies freelancing. Um, but I really wanted a job. Um, and then after two years of two well, year and a half, two years of freelancing, I, um, I moved to Arizona to Phoenix because I finally got a job. Um, and I worked out there for a couple years at a really great studio. And um, there I learned the business part of graphic design, which I had no clue about mm. um, and how to win clients and do pitches and, you know, and manage client expectations and all those things. But um, I just felt like it was a go-nowhere kind of town. 
And all along, I had wanted to move to New York, you know. I wanted to go to New York art schools, but we just, my parents couldn't afford it. Um, so I moved back to Columbus um, in 94, and I was just going to freelance, make some money, and then move to New York. But what happened is, is I ended up landing all these big accounts, like Target and Procter and & Gamble and um, some record companies and things like that, and my business just took off. Hmm. And I ended up, I ended up just staying there. Um, you know, my studio was my studio apartment off of Ohio State campus. I was paying two hundred and fifty dollars a month, heat included, oh my God. And, and I was doing quarterly projects for Target for forty grand a piece. <laughs> oh my God! And I was making so much money, like I just, you know. But I was going to New York a lot to meet all these contacts. So, um, you know, I just kept saying, okay, I'll do one more job and then I'm going to move to the city. Well, but then in 96, I met uh, my husband, Martin, and um, we totally hit it off. And he had had a chain of coffee shops back then. Um, and then he worked that for a little while. And uh, then he, he quit that and went back to school. And I sort of helped him get through school. Um, and then we made a pact that, like, after he was done, we were just going to move to New York. Because by then, he had chosen public relations as his, like, career path. Um, and, uh, you know, he was doing an internship at Victoria's Secret. Uh, he did the very first um, fashion show there. Oh. And um, Monica Mitro, his boss, who's still there, was like, Martin, just moved to New York. So, you know, we picked up and moved to New York. Four months before 9-11 oh. and that was that was such a crazy and weird bizarre experience yeah uh, we would you know my freelance work just imploded and you know the job he had taken he got laid off from after that and it was just a cycle of nonsense for years and Martin but and I you would stayed lay there on the bed. yeah we stayed there yeah but we laid on the bed every night and we would rotate like one day I would cry and go, just let's go. Let's just go back to Ohio. And then he'd be like, no, we're going to stay. And then the next day he'd burst into tears and be like, no, I can't do it. I want to go home. And, um, cause he's from there. And we did that for years. Uh, Oh my gosh. That's a good then, thing about a good partner, right? Is when one's crying, yeah. the other one is just like, no, we can do it. <laughs> well, you know, we had so many friends there and you know, we had this amazing apartment and we just, started to acclimate and we just decided that like we're, we weren't going to give up. Um, and I think all for the better, you know, cause we struggled through those weird times. And then on the flip side, you know, in 2005, we bought a house in the Catskills. Um, cause we were just feeling like we needed to escape the pressure of the city. Right. Um, and then that started us on the second half of our, you know, life. Like now we live up here full time and. Oh, I was just going to um, ask if you were there full time now. Yeah, we literally, three weeks ago, we gave up our apartment for good. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and I have no regrets. Yeah. I mean, we spent we spent 15-plus years there, had a great time, met some amazing people, tons of friends there, um, lots of connections, lots of great work. Um, but we just, um, we just like it up here. It's calmer, it's quieter. You know? Yeah, just yeah. I totally. I've done the same thing. I was always in Toronto or Vancouver, and then now we live in this tiny little town, 
Um, but, you know, those cities are always still there if you want to go back for the weekend or to do whatever. Well, and so I like day to day in the quiet personally. Yeah. Well, and you know what's so really funny about that we notice now living here is that um, when we were living in New York, we were just hustling so hard to pay for not only a mortgage but the rent that we never really enjoyed New York. Right. Um, and now when we go back there, we're like, let's go to the museum. <laughs> right. I, mean, I can maybe count how many times I've been to the MoMA when I lived there, maybe like three times. Right. You know, you live there for 15 years and you only go three times. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that is a little ridiculous. You know, how stupid. Here I am living in the greatest, one of the greatest cities in the world and I can't, I don't have time to even go to the, one of the best museums there, you know? Yeah. And, and, well, and uh, it's that constant hum of like having to hustle, having to hustle, having to hustle. Yeah. You know, and you don't even realize, like, when we when we moved here, um, I went back uh, to just Vancouver just for the weekend, and uh, I realized that I'd been exhausted for 20 years and didn't realize. Like, just yeah. even, like, finding parking, uh, you know, like, negotiating rush hour, like, just things that in a small place don't even come into your brain. Oh, yes, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it took us, uh, it took us a while to, like, chill out. Yes. Because in the grocery store and be like, why can't you put your stuff on the belt faster? You know, yes. why can't you bloop that, you know, coffee creamer faster? You know, <laughs> I know. And I was just saying to somebody the other day, we we're talking about um, small towns. And when we first came here, we wanted to do a few renos and yeah. just like get the carpet pulled up and put hardwood down and stuff. And um, it took forever because it's like island time, you know, it's just like, oh, yes. They'd maybe come, they maybe wouldn't, like, we had a guy working on our house, and, and we came home from somewhere, and he was supposed to be working on the house, we came back, and he's heading out, and we we're like, oh, what's going on? He goes, oh, it's just such a great day, I think I'm going to go snowmobiling. I was like, oh, my God, And I was no. like, oh, um, what? <laughs> but that's just how it is. Yeah. No, it's the same up here, you know, it's hard to, hard to find people. I mean, we had our plumber come over, we had some, we were out of town, we had some friends staying here, and our um, hot water heater broke and we called him and he came right over and he fixed it and I said okay so how much do we owe you and it was it's been radio silence for two years <laughs> like he won't tell me how much it costs you know to fix it and Martin and I are always like okay well just let us know I mean we're happy to pay you nobody works for free so <laughs> But it's just weird. I don't understand what happened there. Like, why he can't, why he can't send me a bill. Well, he's either just never going to charge you, or he's going to send you like a, a million dollar invoice. I know. Next right? week. Well, he's like, well, just one little part on the thing, so you know, it's fine. I'm like, no, it's not fine. That part costs money in your time. I know. So, we have guys like that come all the time to do like electrician stuff or whatever, and they'll be like, you know, it's forty dollars. And we're like, no, it can't be forty dollars. I know. And, and it is, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I I love it, but yeah, I actually, I'm sure he won't listen to this, so it's fine. But we had <laughs> we we needed to do some drywall, um, on our kitchen ceiling, mm -hmm. and so I called the one main drywall place in town that everyone says to call. <laughs> it's owned my by my first boyfriend. Oh no! Who broke my heart when I was 14, and. So he shows up at our house. It's like, I haven't been back in this town for 22 years. And who shows up at our house? 
this dude from grade eight that broke my heart. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and then I think it was like $600 worth of work. They never charged us. No, that's crazy. And so we kept being like, do you want to get paid? And then nothing. See, this is why I hope he doesn't listen because I don't want him to right. come back and be like, oh, yeah, where is that money? But um, I was like, is it because he feels bad about dumping me? Maybe that's what it is. Oh, yes, the awkwardness. Right? <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. just like, you know what? That was awkward enough. Like, just there's your free drywall. Anyway, small town. Let's get back to talking about your art. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, so in all of that, so you moved to New York. Are you, uh-huh. is that when your company started or did you, or was your company officially in Ohio? Yeah, I, was, I officially started Automatic in Ohio. Okay, I and think. then you just kind of kept it going? I just kept it going, yeah. Okay. And I then, mean, it got, it got a little more formal in New York because I actually, in New York, I had to make it an LLC right. for some weird legal reason. But um, And was it just you or did you have a staff? Like, did you have an office? Well, up until that point, it was... It was just me yeah. uh, in Ohio. But then when I moved to New York, I did. I got an office. Um, my first office was on 13th and Broadway. And I shared with a real estate agent and um, this other guy, Mark Mann, a photographer. Mm-hmm. Oh, who, yeah. Um, I think he's married to one of Robert Redford's daughters, I think. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Wait, I, I've lost touch with him. A really amazing guy. Um, so that was the office, uh, that was my first one. And, um, wow, just from sharing an office with a real estate guy, I learned how shady that business is in New York city. Wow. <laughs> he was such a shitty dude. I mean, <laughs> were they friends with Trump? Oh, I, oh, we won't even go there. We won't even go there. Yeah, no, we will. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that was, that was my first office. And then I moved down on to, um, White, uh, I think it was Broadway, between White and Walker. I had an office space there. And um, my landlord was Daniel Moses, who at that time was the boyfriend of Cynthia Nixon. Oh. So he's he was such a great guy, also a photographer. And, um, yeah, I had a really great space there. And um, and then there I had... It, it still was just me, but I had I had occasionally some freelancers come in and help me with with projects and things like that. Um, okay, and so through all of that, are you making collages? Yes. Well, this is the funny thing, it, and this goes way back to when I was working in Phoenix, um, and I had this inkling idea that I just needed to start my own company, uh, design studio. Is I would come home from that job um, in Phoenix and. I just felt so exhausted and like pummeled by the business of graphic design. So I just started making collages for myself mm-hmm. and, um, you know, they were really very like rapid and I was just making to make things and very clumsy and abstract and no real point of view. But at some point I, I had met some people out there, some musicians, and they asked me to do some, um, you know, covers for their CDs and things like that. Mm. So I, so I literally, I took some of the collages I had made and I laid typography over it. And, you know, that was some of the early things where it sort of crossed over for me. Um, and that is where sort of the beginning of automatic art and design came from. You know, it, be, it became about this, um, and you know, the, the name automatic, I am who, and what are you, this whole concept of like, I'm giving you a piece of me and, you know, 
what are you and how does that work and trying to figure out how to um, take these things that I wanted to say personally as an artist and figure out how to transpose them onto commercial work mm. um, that could help a client or a business make a statement, sell more of a product or sell a service. Because I had early on, I had this idea that like, you know, it's all about connecting people. Um, yeah. And people, people love to connect with stories and things that are familiar to them. And I just felt like um, there was this part of graphic design that I felt like that was missing, this like emotional connection part. Yeah, it can be really impersonal. Yeah, like yeah. because I learned I learned in school, you know, like follow the grid and have some concept and be very logical and be very smart about it, the sizes of your point, you know, that your yeah. points your type and you know all these like logical rational things, but it just seemed very like boring. And but you know also at the same time, you know, this is the early 90s and you know, David Carson and um um was just like going crazy. Um I'm trying to think of the magazine, Raygun. So David Carson and Raygun magazine were just exploding, and it was this whole concept of grunge. And he had basically taken all the rules of graphic design and thrown them in the trash can. And I totally was into it because, oddly enough, it looked exactly like the collages that I was making, you know, and then blending the type with it. Mm-hmm. So here I was just doing this thing at home at night, and then one day one of my bosses brought in this Raygun magazine and it like blew my mind. He goes, Oh, look at it. It's exactly what you're doing. <laughs> so, you know, that sort of started me on, on a trajectory there to start my own business and, and do this thing. And then also in the nineties, um, when I was in Ohio, <clears throat> I did, I, I became, you know, recognized for my style of this mix of like collage and graphic design. Um, and I did lots of, projects you know I was doing like I said stuff for Target I did billboard for Target and Times Square and I was doing record packaging all the time hmm. and, um, and so would you would you use like um because you know you know that I was a graphic designer for years too right yeah. and so you know when you start a project and you kind of need materials like to to you know launch from so if you're for doing sure. something for Target or Victoria's Secret or something would you, because your your work is so layered and textured and it often looks like fabric. Would you take those bits and pieces from things from Target or things from Victoria's Secret to make your layers from? Uh, sometimes, sometimes they would provide me with with things. Other times, I would just I had bins and bins. I still do. I have bins and bins of magazines and scraps, and I would just go through um, and cobble things together. You know, yeah, for I, what I, felt right to you. Yeah. yeah, I would think about it. You know, I certainly approached it from a graphic design perspective, like have a concept and, you know, follow through on it and figure out how it scales and moves across things. But then I also really became interested in this, like, spontaneous let the process sort of evolve and, you know, sort of let the process help me find the answer. Right. And I still adopt that today in everything I do. But... um. You know, I was just trying to find some sort of emotive connection between, like, a product or a service and these feelings I had inside myself about everything, the world, where I was in my own life, you know, different emotions that people share or experiences, you mm-hmm. know, and trying to find a way to basically connect, like, a widget with a person. Yeah. You know? Well, and that's the whole thing with 
design, right, is communication. Right. And it can be very cold, or you can infuse some emotion and some personality. And right. I just think it's so beautiful. And, you know, it's so funny. I, there are so, so many of the collages that I love started out as graphic designers. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, when I was in school, I took a history of graphic design class. And uh, that was the first time, and it sounds ridiculous, that was the first time I saw Robert Rauschenberg's paintings. Yeah. And they blew my mind. Me too. I could not imagine that he was a fine artist. I was like, he is a graphic designer. Yeah. I mean, in every way, shape, and form. And now, whenever I look at his work, I just see graphic design. You know? Yeah. It, it just feels that way to me. And, you know, this was another thing that I think, you know, sort of helped me find my way is every time I was making something at home at night and then doing it for my own silly little clients, I just kept thinking about him hmm. and how it just made sense to me. And, um, yeah, so I just... Uh, kind of bridges it, that gap for you. It, like, yeah. And it, considering at school, you were basically told you weren't allowed to bridge that gap. No, yeah. It was you like, know. You don't go over there. Don't be putting your paintings in a graphic design piece. See, and I was no. the opposite because I was doing fine art, but my work was very graphic designer-ish without me realizing. We didn't have a design, um, like, option in our school. Um, right. But I think it was just in me, right? So I would always incorporate text, and I was collaging, and I was doing all these things uh, using pop culture references. Well, that did not fly at my school, I will tell you. <laughs> oh, yeah. And um, well. I actually had a prof who I loved pull me aside. She's a sculptor. She pulled me aside in third year, and she said, you know, um, you need to go to design school. And, yeah. you know, I was like, what? Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an artist. And she's like, well, no, no, you know, finish your BFA. But she said, you are just, you are a designer. Like, the way that you compose things, the way, they just like everything that you, the way that you approach it, she's like, you will be so happy in design. And so when I went to design school, I, I mean, I did, I, I was thriving there. And it was, but I'm so glad, like you said, that I have both. Yes. Because I feel like they are s such a huge compliment. But again, it was like in art school, I wasn't loud. They didn't want me, except for this amazing teacher. They did not want me to dabble around in this designy camp. But I think yeah, it right. made me a stronger designer and now a stronger artist to have both. And I and I have always felt that way that like, why should I just stick in one lane yeah. as a creative person? I mean, it, it just makes no sense yeah, to me. Yeah, it's not creative at all <laughs> to no, stay in not. one lane. I mean, you know, it's like this, you know, drilled into your head, form follows function. But I'm like, but where's the emotional part of it? Yeah. It's well, and there's like, human hand in it, so there has to be emotion in it, you know. Right. And so, I mean, yeah. yeah. Oh. No, you go. So, but I don't know. So anyway, so I have this other funny story that's, okay. that's similar. Um, coming back to my photography, I, it's like flashback day here. But, um. <laughs> Uh, I'll so send you my, my psychological invoice after this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the therapy session. You're welcome. Um, so, but anyway, so back to the photography thing. So one day I was in the, um, the photo lab and, uh, I was making all these prints for a photo class and, um, you know, it was dark in there and no clock or anything. And I, I realized at the last minute that like I was late for my drawing class. So, which happened to be across the hall. So I literally... And I hadn't prepared, which was unlike me. 
So I had no paper, no pencils, no nothing. And it was like a figure drawing class. And so I literally, I grabbed my um, photographs off the printer, you know, the, the drawing machine. Yeah. And I ran across the hall. Because there, if you missed like three classes or were marked unprepared for so many, you basically failed the class. So I just ran over there and my teacher, Mrs. Dawson, I said, I'm sorry, I lost track of time in the photo lab and like all I have are these photographs and I, I don't have any stuff. Like I can go back to my door in my room and get my stuff. And she <laughs> looked through my photographs and she goes, it's okay, Charles, your photographs suck. So why don't you just sit here and make a collage with them? And it's true. I, my collages or my photos did suck. I, um, I, I didn't know how canned air worked. So there was dust and everything all over them. Um, and she brought me over a book of Joseph Cornell and Juan Gris. And she said, here, just sit here and make a collage. I'll, I'll get you some glue. And, um, you know, you can just do that today. And uh, so I, I did. I made a collage. I just tore things up and stuck it down. And she came over at the end and was like, you know, this looks really good. Like, if you don't want to draw anymore, you can just do some collages for the rest of the semester. And um, that's totally cool with me. So, wow. Um, so Go, I, Mrs. Dawson. Right. So I did that for a couple weeks. And then I went back to drawing because I felt guilty because I was the only one doing this weird thing. Um, but, you know, she really encouraged me to, to do that. And, um, you know, I, I think that it, it hasn't, it's only been till recently that I've been recalling some of these things that, you know, it's like a pattern that sort of adds up to what I'm doing now, you know? Yeah, I know. And you don't really realize it in the moment. And sometimes you don't even realize it for years later until, no. you know, and my whole thing about the inner critic, um, you know, the teacher that told me you should never paint again, I filed that away somewhere deep in my brain and, you know, went off and was a graphic designer and was successful and all these things. And then it really wasn't until I was working on my first book when I was trying to figure out what the source of my inner critic was. Like it, I never yeah. pieced it together. Right. And now it seems like when I tell that story, it's like, aha, there was the day that, you know, that the seed was planted, but it was like 20 years later that I was like, hold on a second, you know, right. and then you kind of, you start to see these things in hindsight, and it is funny, like, yeah, you've had all these experiences that just kept reinforcing, reinforcing exactly what you're doing. And, you know, I can't imagine, I can't imagine making the work I make now without having those experiences, yeah. you know, that just, um, yeah, it just sort of pushes you down, like, just, just alters your path just a tiny bit. And every time it alters it that little, little bit. And, and you also ran with it, you know, you yeah. could have said, no, I'm not going to rip stuff up. I'm going to, I'm going to do drawing. Well, and the, the funny thing about that, that drawing uh, class story is, you know, that was honestly the, one of the first times where art making actually felt weirdly natural. Hmm. Like I, I never really liked painting um, simply because the paint took too long to dry and I was impatient. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved drawing, but the way I was taught and that would seem like everyone was drilling into me was like realism, realism, realism. Yeah. And I just, I was very good at it, but I just could not get on board with it. I was like, who wants to draw reality? I mean, you know, you can just not, look at it. Yeah. You don't need I, to recreate it. I mean, I get why you learn that, 
because it's important for all those techniques and skills that you learn, but it never made sense to me. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, I also realized the first time I went to the Dali Museum, and, you know, I never really liked his work, but we were happened to be there with friends or whatever, and, um, you know, I was amazed at his drawings, of the realism in his drawings, and then it kind of made sense to me of, like, oh, okay, I get it why he went to surrealism, because he totally had mastered reality. Right. So he needed to jump off the other end. Right. Yeah, and it is when you have those, it's like exactly what we were saying about, you know, learning all the graphic design. Like once you, if you can harness all of those skills, then you can do whatever you want. Yeah. You know, yeah. And I often, I often get accused of, in my collages, that like my edges are so perfect and considered. And I'm like, of course they are. I think about that because <laughs> for me, that's the end. That's the end, right? Right. So, um, and they matter. I mean, the edge of the page is still a frame of reference. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, okay, I have two questions about that. Okay. okay. How should I do this? Um, okay, wait. Rewind, rewind. Okay. So, okay, so you're still doing all of your stuff. You're, you're making, now, you're, now your artwork is actually becoming your own artwork. Yeah. When was, the, when was that? Like in the 2000s? Like when well, were you, because you, you started showing and like. Yeah. Well, the thing is, so after I moved to New York and, you know, things got a little better and all that stuff, I, I published a book in 2003 through Gestalten, right. a German publisher. And that book was sort of like, a, I would say like a sketchbook. It was called Index A. And that had everything in there, like my drawings, my Xerox collages, my paper collages, typography, um, the Polaroids that I was taking at the time. And it was just meant to be this, like, you know, loose connection of thoughts and ideas that, you know, were, were constantly in my studio, mm-hmm. you know, of just my everything that I was just experimenting with. And I think after that book came out, um, you know, things started to change for me. Like, I started to, to feel that uh, I wasn't feeling satisfied with graphic design anymore. Like, because by then I had done so many things. Right. And, um, it started, it was starting to feel boring. So then I started moving into doing, you know, illustration and doing lots of digital collages for magazines and things like that and doing less of traditional graphic design. And, um, and you know, the funny thing is everyone always thought my design was illustration anyway, which I would made me want to punch somebody because I'm like, it's not. (laughs) Just imagine um, so, if you'd had a shot of tequila at the same time. Right, right. <laughs> but so at that point, I was kind of feeling tired of graphic design. And so I gave in and I got myself an illustration rep and I went that route for, I don't know, maybe five years or so. Oh. Um, and I just did illustration. That's all I did. Um, all digital, you know, because our director's got to change everything. Right. You know? <laughs> And also, too, like, I had to buy a lot more stock because it came down to usage rights. Um, you know, I couldn't use vintage magazines. So if you look at my work, uh, there is a period there um, in the mid-2000s, like 2005 to 10, mm-hmm. where I did a lot of digital stuff. Um, and that was definitely for clients and things like that. But um, But then I got sort of burned out on that because that I just felt completely ma- manipulated by art directors. Like, 
you know, yeah. I can't tell you how many times the art director would be like, take this out, take that out, take this out. And I'm like, you're asking me to take out everything that makes it me. Yeah. And my voice. And I'm mad about it. Mm-hmm. And so I basically stopped doing illustration um, right around 2010 or so. And that's really when I decided that I needed to stop doing graphic design, stop doing illustration, and follow through on Mr. Maggio's advice, my art teacher from high school, that like suddenly I was regretting it and I was going to wake up one day and felt like I had no soul and I needed to follow my true being, right? Um, but, the, but the irony there is I was, so I started making more collages and trying to show in galleries and things like that. And I started to experience more of the same of like, well, you're a graphic designer. You can't show at a gallery. No, we don't show graphic designers. You're a graphic designer. And I kept hearing that over and over again. And it really irritated me because I just felt like, what does that matter? Andy Warhol was a graphic designer, illustrator. And now you sell his crap for billions of dollars. Yeah. What's the difference? Um, And I even had several really good friends who will go unnamed that are wildly successful painters. I mean, sells their stuff at Christie's. And they were like, do not, under any circumstance, tell anyone that you were a commercial artist. Don't do it. Don't even put it on your resume. And I just thought, this is really messed up. And I couldn't understand it. And I still don't. Um, So there were some years in there where I tried really hard to erase the fact that I was a graphic designer. Um, And now I just don't give a shit because I'm like, whatever, you're either either on board with me or you're not. Yeah. It's part of your story. It's part of why you you do what you do. Yeah. Right. And as you watch the gallery world implode, I'm like, what the hell do you know? I mean, (laughs) you know, I just, and this has always been this thing for me is like, uh, I just find these like systems really unaccommodating, Yeah. <laughs> you know, and just fake in a lot of ways. Well, and archaic too. Like there's a lot of very old rules that are still around because yeah. they're the rules. Right. And it's, uh, and these days I feel like the doors are wide open and why are we still clinging to these other things? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, like I said, like, I don't do very much graphic design anymore and not because I don't like it. I, I still love graphic design. I, I sort of choose the projects that are interesting to me these days and that I don't want that to sound like arrogant or I'm picky or whatever. It's just, um, I'm only interested in things that or clients that really get it. Right? Yeah. No, yeah. I, I and completely one, hear you. You no, can't, you can't keep okay. doing it and keep doing it. I, I feel exactly the same way. I don't do, I stopped designing about two and a half years ago. And, um, you know, if anything really cool comes up, I'll, I'll do it. Um, but yeah, it's not where my heart is anymore. I just sort of hit a point where I was like, if I hear another brief that needs to be irreverent and fresh, I'm going to shoot somebody. Right. You know, and so I, I get it. And you know, that's part of the journey. You just have to get to where you're doing things that you feel good about it's, it's part of getting older too right where you just hit a point where you're like you know what no <laughs> I don't well, right. want to do like, this anymore I I can't even tell you how many logos I've done yeah you know <laughs> I, I don't 
I, I used to love doing logos. I, no, I don't want to do it anymore. Me too. And, the, and you know, but it's just, uh, yeah, I think creativity is always growing. And if you don't let it grow, uh, you just get stuck in a rabbit hole that's really ugly. Yeah, and you have to evolve. Like, that's part of being yeah, creative. Otherwise, it's just, yeah, otherwise it's uncomfortable. Or, like, it just, yeah, then you get blocked. Then you feel grouchy then there's depression you know like then there's tequila it's like a it's a spiral it's just a big downward spiral and you know so talking about this creative block like coming to this other part of my life and career you know I mean it is my are my bees yes now this so when I heard you talk at collage fest it was so great your talk was great um and then you. you started talking about the bees and I was like oh we have to get this guy in the podcast okay so your bees go so, like, uh, I would say around 2008, I was totally, you know, coming out of this illustration nightmare, and I just, I feel like I've been stuck with Creative Block for about three years, and I was just really spiraling downward, like, angry about everything, I hated everything, um, I just felt like my career was going nowhere, and everything I made just looked like shit. And um, so, I woke up one day, and I, you know jabbed my husband in the side, and I said, we're going skydiving today, today. We're going to go. I'm going to jump out of a plane at 7,000 feet. I don't even care if there's some guy on my back. I'm going to do it, and we need to do it today. And he said, we're not doing that. I said, fine. I'm going to do beekeeping because (laughs) I had made this mental list of dangerous things because I had literally gotten to a point where I just wanted to scare the shit out of myself. I, I had gotten to a breaking point. I I knew that I needed to make a change, (laughs) but I didn't want baby steps. I wanted it right now. I wanted it today, and I needed it. I needed it. I knew it. And, you know, so, (laughs) you know, I had all these pictures in my head growing up of people covering themselves in bees, right? Right. Oh, I remember those from National Geographic. Right. And it just looked so dangerous. Like, that looked like a suicide mission. Um. So I said, okay, fine, I'm going to do this because I can do it by myself and you don't have to participate and I'm just going to do it. So, um, did he roll over and go back to sleep? He did. (laughs) And, but I got up and I found a beekeeping class and happened to be like two months away and I signed up for it and I took a class at the New York city beekeepers association. (laughs) Um, and I fell in love. I mean, Honestly, quickly, I learned that, you know, bees aren't dangerous. But, um, you know, what I've learned about bees, because I've been doing this now for about 10 years, and and I would say the first four years of beekeeping, it was like a total disaster. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. I was overthinking it. I was, like, transferring all this anxiety that I had, like, onto the bees. Oh. And, you know, Where where did you have them? Oh, at at my house upstate. Okay. Because by then we, we had a house in the Catskills. Okay. Um, so, you know, I was like, the anxiety and the, everything must have just been seeping out of my skin because I got stung all the time by the bees. And, you know, the bees can smell your fear and anxiety. So I must have just looked like ground zero to them. And, you know, I spent four years of like getting stung all over my body and being like, why is this happening to me? You know, total time, you know. Tanya Harding moment there, but um, <laughs> but then after a while, when I got like I like realized that 
I had to let go a little bit more. And I don't know what it was exactly that made me feel that way. I, I guess maybe I just gave up or, well, I don't know. It, I had a conversation with an older beekeeper up here and I was commiserating all my problems and stuff. And, you know, you could tell I was really upset about it because, you know, the bees were dying and uh, I wasn't having success and I was disappointed. And, you know, because ultimately my goal was to cover myself in bees. You know, well, let's, sure. Let's not forget that. No. Of course, I never told anybody that. But because um, all of the beekeepers are like, I'm not helping you. Uh, but, <laughs> I'll go skydiving with you, but I'm not going to help you do this. So anyway, so he he said to me, he started laughing. He goes, oh, Charles, bees are like family. And I just, you know, I thought about it for a minute. And I was like, oh, my God, you're totally right. And I I swear I probably started to cry in front of this crusty old man. <laughs> and, and I think it was one of those moments where I realized that, you know, I had fallen in love with uh, danger and I'd fallen in love with these bees. And it was like totally transforming me into like something else you know mm-hmm. all for the better but I think it was at that point where I just um I realized I had to let the things that were bothering me go you know yeah and, you know one of the things like I was saying bees can smell the fear your fear so I learned and I still do this today that when I before I go and look at the beehives before I step into my bee yard I have to let it go I have to let go of my fear let go of my anxiety my frustration, my feelings about the world around me and everything. I have to let it all go because you can't, you know, you can't be with that, that way with them. And mm-hmm. um, well, that really, made me just exhale really deeply. And so the bees have kind of become this like meditation for me, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're the moment that I do this thing by myself. It's just me and the bees and I have this moment of where, you know, I'm just, I'm taking care of them because I've also learned to be less of a beekeeper and more of a caretaker because the, the bees know the way and I, I'm just there to help them get where they're going. So I think that's also been another lovely thing that I've learned about them. And, you know, as we've been talking here, you know, rolling through all the things that I've done throughout my career, it, it, it is, it's like, you know, where have I been? But where am I going? And, you know, before I used to be so obsessed with getting there and now I'm interested in letting it happen. Yeah. And, yeah. And I think that's changed my perspective, not only on life, but how I make my art and what it means and all these other things. And I think without having that, that experience with the bees, I, I can't imagine what I would be doing now. Um, and what kind of art I would be making now, you know? Mm-hmm. That's so beautiful. And, and you, who would have ever guessed? It was it was either skydiving or a, a bee beard. Well, it's funny. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was not necessarily the change I I went looking for. Yeah. And that I wanted. Um, but it's the change I think I I needed. Yeah. You know? And. Uh, and so I think, like, for me, bees are, are just such a huge part of my creativity. And, you know, oftentimes people ask, you know, why don't you do more with bees, like beeswax and encaustic and, you know, all these things. And I feel like um, I don't want to because the minute I start 
doing that, I feel like it, it will just become something else. Yeah, like, totally. It needs to be its own meditative thing that ha- that yeah. is something else. Yeah. They need to be separate Yeah. Uh, from my art making, even though they are a huge contributor in uh, another way, you know? Yeah. For um, your mental state and yeah. Yeah. So, um, so now you're up there with them all the time. Yeah. Oh, there's your doctor again. <laughs> My husband does PR, so he's always on the phone. Oh. Um, but yeah, so... Um, so I'm have you been covered in bees yet? No. Um, I've abandoned that idea a long time ago. <laughs> uh, although I have been stung. I, I just caught a swarm a couple weeks ago, and um, it was up in an uh, apple tree. And uh, I ended up getting bees all over me, um, which they, so I have this veil on my face. And uh, as I was coming down off the ladder, the bees were all over me. And um, I hit a branch and the veil pushed up against my face. And there must have been, I don't know, 20 bees on my veil. And I definitely got, I got stung all over my face. Oh, my through, God. Through the veil. Yeah. So that was my own dumb fault, you know. But, um. Wow! Yeah. Oh my oh, yeah. god! I've had them, you know, everything zippered and closed on my suit because I, I do wear a full suit. But um, they they find their way in every nook and cranny, and I've had like four or five of them flying around in my veil. I've been stung on my eyebrow, been stung on my lip. Oh! Been stung, I've been stung on my nipples. <laughs> um, well, you were looking for danger. Yeah. Danger and excitement. Yeah. No, it is exciting. I mean, these things, there's a little bit of adrenaline there, you know. Well, that's for sure, yeah. Oh, my gosh, that's crazy. Well, we are surrounded by bees here. Our, um, we live, like, in the middle of, like, a vineyard, orchard extravaganza. Awesome. So, yeah, there's bees everywhere. And um, my husband does triathlons, and he got, in his last race, he got stung, a bee flew into his helmet. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah, and stung him on the temple as he was riding along and, that's not what you need in a triathlon. No. Oh, my gosh. You know, no. everything hurts already. You don't really need to get stung on the head. But anyway. Yeah. Um, okay. So um, I, I'm i trying to picture your studio. So do you just have boxes or drawers of, like, random bits and pieces of stuff? And follow-up, do you, do you still take any photographs? Like, are all of those images found, or do you photograph things, too? Um, well, my studio's, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, like a square, sort of, <laughs> a little rectangle, I guess. But, um, and it's, uh, downstairs in our house, and I, I do, I have, I have boxes and stacks of magazines, um, all different kinds. I have a couple flat files, and on top it's stacked full of magazines, um, and, off our laundry room, I have a little storage closet that's also jammed full of, like, books and props and boxes of fabric and mannequins and weird stuff that I, every time we go to an antique store, I'm like, I need this. <laughs> that's awesome. And so do you, do you cut stuff out ahead of time and you just have strips of already cut things, or do you approach it like every new piece you're like, okay, and you go through the magazines and then you start cutting? Well, it's, it's, a little bit of both. So yeah. I have on my work table, I have a really long table. It's probably, I don't know, maybe um, eight or nine feet long. Ooh. And I have stacks of magazines at some end. And then in the middle, I work on a on a mat. 
But then all around my mat are scraps that I've cut out from magazines and oh, it must be at least, uh, I don't know, half an inch deep, um, just covering. And these are old scraps, new scraps, like I can't even tell you where they are. And uh, occasionally I'll go through and edit out and throw some things out. But so I have all these scraps around me. And then um, I, I'm a loyal subscriber to Vogue and, you know, Harper's Bazaar, <laughs> not for the fashion. Um, I don't really care what's in fashion. I just am looking at the, you know, the fabric. But um, so I do every month or so or every time I find a new magazine, I, I will cut the scraps out um, sort of as I go when I'm making something. I'll, I'll only really cut out of the magazines um, if I feel like I don't have anything on my table already. Right. Um, and so... I How spent, do you find stuff in that inch deep? I spend, well, on a, if I'm really not distracted and focused on making something, it takes me about a full day to make a piece. And most of that is just sifting through the stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I mean... That sounds fabulous. There's a lot of people that are more organized than me, and I totally appreciate that. And I like organization, don't get me wrong. But there's um, the way I make my collages, it's, it's very spontaneous, and I'm focused and living in the moment that I'm making it. So I need that, that interaction of, like, digging for it. Yeah, it's like a and, treasure hunt. Yeah, I need it. Like, yeah. it's just a weird part of my making, my creative process. That um, if I had everything organized by color and size, like, it would seem really boring and uninspiring. Right, because then you'd be like, I'll go get this pink piece and then this thing and then I'm done. Right, because, you know, I used to keep a sketchbook, you know, and jot down my ideas and be like, yeah, 3 o'clock in the morning, this is a great idea. And then you try and go and make it and you'd be like, this is the dumbest thing ever. (laughs) And it just doesn't work. Yeah, I totally know. Yeah, Because by then it already feels contrived to me. Yeah. Like, you know, I thought about it already. I yeah. I workshopped it to the to you know death, and now I just yeah I just want to live in the moment because that's where the ideas come from, you know. And in the morning I listen to the news, I read newspapers, I look at stuff online, you know. I try and think about things that I've archived in my head, funny conversations or experiences, and so when I sit down to make a collage, I sort of try and pull from all of that, and then you know, pick the images and the scraps and sort of let it all, like, sort of come together into something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not always necessarily about one thing that I'm thinking about. It could be like, you know, last week was a shit show and a million people died. And, you know, I, I might just think about that and, right. like, how horrible that is. And then, you know, try and find something beautiful to pull out of that. You know, it's some of my work is really dark and ugly and other things are, are really pretty and lovely. And, you know, I, I want to sort of cover all the emotions of humanity. And mm-hmm. I was going to say that's life. Right. Yeah. You know, and there are days I sit down to make a piece and I just, by three o'clock, I, I'm so completely frustrated. I can't do it. And I just will walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that's another thing that I've learned over the years is like, you know, I used to be so, rigid and aggressive about trying to make artwork every day and now I've learned that like 
I need to make it when I want to and when I feel like I need to. But if there comes a moment where I'm just getting too frustrated, I just need to stop and let it go. Yeah. And try again tomorrow. Yeah. Like go and do something else. Um, yeah, for sure. I do that too. And, and it's just, you get to a point sometimes where it's a square peg round hole. Yeah. And it's just like you can't see what you're doing anymore at all. And then you're just mad and annoyed and it's just so much better to like walk away or just yeah go do something else and I find like I like the sorting thing that you're talking about whenever I have a plan and I'm going to go in and I'm going to do this thing it never ever works it's always the happy accidents where you're like oh there we go well and that's the beauty of collage is you know that's the one thing that I still am in love with about this medium is the spontaneity yeah and the fact that there are no rules. I mean, I make rules for myself because that helps my creative process, but really it can be anything you want it to be. And, you know, you can live in the moment. You can live in the past. You can live in the future. You know, and I think, um, you know, in this world that we live in, it's so frenetic and chaotic and, you know, cultures and music and imagery and everything is getting slammed together. And I, I just feel like it's, uh, you know... Collage is a great replicator of all of that. And, you know, I'm not surprised that Collage is having a great revival right now because, you know, the other thing I will say is you even look at a little inkling of Collage history. I mean, Collage is always at those moments where there's social and cultural upheaval, you know. That's a good point. You know, you can see it in the 60s with Robert Rauschenberg, you know, civil rights, and you can go back to Dada, you know, like... Um, and then you can even look at it a little bit if you consider like the punk rock flyers and the Xerox stuff of the late seventies, early eighties. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just this mashup of, of everything that's happening. And now I think if you look at what's happening in this world now, I mean, it's no wonder Collage is back again. I mean, (laughs) you know, yeah. And you know, that's, I think. I think that's one part of collage that most people ignore or don't even acknowledge, you know, which is sad. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, that's what I loved so much about Collage Fest, you know, to be surrounded by all of those other collage artists. I was saying to somebody when I was there that, you know, every event I go to is obviously an artist event, right? So they're your people, they're artists, they get it, all this stuff. But at Collage Fest, I was like, you could literally turn to anybody and talk about glue for like 10 minutes. You know, <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. Like, it was like, whoa, these are like not just my people; these are my people. <laughs> you know, well, it's such a glue is such a hot topic, <laughs> and I, I can't tell you. Like, I hosted a collage event in the city a couple years ago, and that once everyone sat down and had their you know preferred cutting device in their hand, <laughs> everyone wanted to talk about glue. Everyone. <laughs> I mean, I know. What do you use? How do you? Yeah, I know. I it's. Oh, so I can't funny. believe you use that. That's terrible. I know. Okay. Well, what do you use? I use Yuzu sticks. I, use I was the, just gonna say, don't say glue stick. Don't say glue stick. I say glue stick, and I learned that from Fred Free. You know. How do great, you not get it all over you? Um, I have sheets of paper that I put the scraps on and glue the scrap on the on a separate piece of paper. Oh, and then I, okay. And then once those get full and sticky, I throw them out. Okay. Uh, I often, sometimes I'll use those paper palettes for painting. Are yeah. really good. Or you can just, I've even used in a pinch, like when I've been traveling, I've just used wax paper. 
you know. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, because people swear by those things, and I just swear at them because I do one thing, and I am just covered, and the little bits of paper are sticking to me, not the place where they're supposed to be going, and it just fills me with rage. Well, you know, in the, in the beginning, I used to use um, just scotch tape. Like, the very first collages I was making were all scotch tape, and, you know, I pull them out of the drawer now, and I'm like, well, that was a huge mistake. Are they um, all yellow now? Um, well, I don't know. Actually, maybe it's, maybe it's not a mistake. Uh, I mean... <laughs> The tape definitely sealed that section where I taped it, so that part looks good. The rest of them kind of aged. I mean, they've got a patina on that looks kind of nice. That'll be, that'll be great in the retrospective, though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then for a while there, I used to use bookbinding glue um, on, like, uh, watercolor or drawing paper. But, you know, I really struggled with that for, for years because it would just wrinkle, and it would piss me off. Right. Because I... I, I'm a I'm a crazy freak that just wants everything to be flat. Um, Graphic designer. Yeah, well, but I also think it it for me aesthetically it enhances the illusion that they're real. Right. You know, um, and I yeah, get yeah. it. There there are other collage artists that don't mind the texture of the wrinkling and the and all that, and that's great. Like, you know, um, so I don't I don't criticize. It's just not. It's not what I wanted at the end for my own work. Yeah, um, that's the same how I feel. I always ask whenever I have collage artists on, I'm like, but doesn't it buckle? And like some people are like, yeah, so like they, they love that part of it, right? But I always thought maybe it was because I was a designer and I like when it's done, I want it to be flat. <laughs> like I don't yeah. want the wrinkles and stuff. No, I want it to be flat, you yeah. know. And um, and for a while there, I tried spray glue, which was a horrible disaster. Not only did it mention smelly yeah. and... Uh, and honestly, I'm not really that archival in a lot of ways. Um, and then, you know, some of the other things that uh, always seem to be a topic, which I'm surprised really didn't come up, is um, just archival, like how to archive them. Like, do you spray a coating on, UV coating on them? Do you seal it with matte medium? Like, yeah. do well, you mount it? Um, I, <laughs> I literally put them in a dark... I put them in a black box inside my um, flat files, and I, they only come out once in a great while. And when they do get framed, it's UV glass only. Right. Um, and I try and, you know, I slip sheet them so they don't stick together. Um, I did buy some of the UV spray, which I'm going to try out and see if that works. But I was also talking to somebody that was a conservator saying that like, Oh, you're just spraying more stuff on it. Like, you know, that might not be the best thing. Oh, um, depending on what type of, you know, spray you're using. You right. Know? Oh boy. You can, just, you can just go to home Depot and get a UV spray from Krylon or whatever. And I'm like, well, is that oh, now I hear what you're saying. Is that just like spraying car paint on it? I don't know. <laughs> I just started doing that because I started, I moved from paper to panel recently. Yeah. And for some reason, because then it's not going to be under glass, right? You're not going to frame it. Right. So then I was like, okay, well, I need to protect it somehow or make sure everything is sealed in. And so I was trying like matte mediums, but then you could see the brush strokes, which drove me crazy. Right. And then, um, so then I tried this spray and 
it's stinky, but like I like it so far because it seals everything in and you don't see it and it's great. But then, yeah, yeah like in a hundred years, I don't know. But you know what? I'll be dead. So what ifs? Well, and this is the thing. It's like, I don't know. Are, should collages be last that long? I don't, I don't know. You know, it's another good thing that sometimes I think about like, Maybe it'll just disintegrate. I don't know. Then it'll be fine. Or somebody will collage on top of it, which would be even cooler. Yeah. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's, it's one that, that, that didn't come up, did it? I don't remember anybody talking about that. Next and you know, year. I, took, I took a, I took a transfer class with a really well-known, um, transfer artist up here in Warwick, New York. And, um, he was, he uses a lot of matte medium to do transfers with images and stuff. And he was saying that it is not, you should not trust it. It is not archival. Oh. Especially with color images. And not because of the medium itself. It's because of the printed material. Because right. The, the ink on that paper is not archival. And, you know, you just can't guarantee how long it's going to last. Oh, well, then we're screwed no um, matter what. So who cares what you spray it with? Right. So that's how <laughs> I kind of feel about it. It's yeah. like... You know, I'm just ask the bees. It. Ask the bees what they think. I, I bet the bees will be like, "Just relax, man. Just chill out. Just yeah. chill out. Otherwise, yeah. I'll sting you." <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's what I do after I'm done with something. It usually gets scanned almost immediately, um, as uh, high of enough resolution as I can eke out, um, and then I have like a little digital archive of everything. Oh, that's so that, smart. So that if it does yellow in like a month or you know something bad happens to it like I at least have a record yeah um, that's smart that, well that we mean, live in an age where you can document everything in a second right, right. so might as well and, why not? and honestly so much of it gets presented on the internet and social media like you got to scan it anyway so yeah it's fine. I love it okay there we covered archival documentation right. so now Charles the only thing left is the not so speedy speed round okay are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. It's not speedy, so it's okay. Um, I can't believe this hasn't come up yet. Scissors or X-Acto? Oh, my God, X-Acto. Do you, have you tried the little, it's a Fiskars thing where you, it's like a ring on your finger? Oh, I haven't tried that. <gasps> oh, my God, I'll send you a link. It Ooh, sounds scary. It is awesome because it, it's the same as an X-Acto blade, but it goes around your finger like a little ring so that you can hold it like a pen. Yeah. It, it gives you so much control. They even have a swivel head one so that you can go around corners without lifting up your knife and it still keeps Whoa. cut. Yeah. And okay, they're, so, they're like 10 bucks. So I have the, I had this friend when I was um, working um, in-house at this design studio. You know, we're cutting out comps and stuff. And, of course, I'm, you know, a master at my little X-Acto knife. My friend Stacy was using literally a doctor's scalpel. That was her preferred instrument to cut out comps packaging and wow. I was like girl if you slip you are screwed <laughs> oh please I don't mean, please don't tell me that she slipped she must no. have sometimes uh ne never when I was there thank god because I would have passed out from all the blood but um I was like you are intense she's like here take one home try it out I was like no <laughs> I don't know that's next level not for me see that was before your danger phase I know, right? Right. My dad yeah. is a scientist, and um, but very, very supportive of me being an artist. So um, the last time they came to visit, he gave me his old 
dissection kit from like his PhD oh my God, that's days. Awesome. Yeah, and he's like, oh, I thought you might be able to use it. So there's all these different scalpels, but then there's also like um, uh, tweezers and stuff. He's like, I thought you could use all of this stuff, um, you know, to to put hold the paper while you're gluing and whatever. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, so I haven't done it yet because yeah. I'm I'm also like, what did you cut up with this first? Like, is there frog guts on these things? Like, I, you know. Yeah, so I've just got, like, a really nice, cool kit for my dad, but I haven't attempted to use it yet, but maybe I should live on the edge and give it a whirl. But in the meantime, I will put up, in this post, I will put a link okay. to those Fiskar things, and I will tell you, because a friend of mine told me about them, and they're life-changing. Okay. okay. I'm going to get them. Um, how many pairs of glasses do you have? One. Really? One pair, Yeah. I did not expect that. I thought there was going to be a multitude. Well, if you're talking sunglasses, I ha- I do have a couple pair, but no, no, not- like your frames, your just your glasses, glasses. Just one, just one. Wow, just the iconic Charles Wilkin look. I yeah, I don't. You know, it's funny. Like when I was growing up, I both my parents had glasses, and um, you know, a very Mrs. Doubtfire looking kind of frames. You know, not, nothing funny. Uh, except they are now, but um, <laughs> I just remember growing up going, I can't wait till I get glasses. I just can't wait. And then it happened, you know, years ago. And uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I obsessed about it. I had a couple clunker pair in the beginning that I just, I wasn't happy with and I got rid of them. And then I found this pair and I just, this is what I want to wear. Yeah. Well, I they just, work. They work for you. Thank you. Until they break, and then I'll I'll pick something else out uh, that's funny. But my inspiration for these was, um, uh, what's his name? Cootie the Owl. <laughs> you know, or Iris Apple. Like, her glasses are just... Um, yeah, they are pretty fantastic. <laughs> but Cootie the Owl. For me, I think, you know. Well, you have to be Iris to really pull off. Right. Certain well, things. Your own thing. Why copy? Yeah, I don't exactly. Copy. You got to be your. You're, you just. You just be Charles. You just do you. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, a follow up to that. How many yeah. pairs of shoes do you have? Ooh, that's a. Now I love sneakers. So. Well, I saw your rainbows. Yeah. On your Instagram, and I love them so much. And then I thought, I bet he has so many in that so, repertoire. So in the summertime, I love Vans because they just slip on, you know, and they're easy and. Um, so I have, I have maybe like three pairs of those right now. The sad part of the Vans is they don't last very long as we all know. Yeah. So it, they're kind of like a throwaway fashion thing, but, um, sneakers, I probably have maybe eight pair. Oh, that's and not I, bad. Well, I had more. We recently cleaned out our closet. Right. Um, so you just have to start building up the inventory again. Yeah. And some just were, you know, they were had holes in the bottom and not wearable, so I just had to throw them away. <laughs> but I'm a super fan of the custom sneakers from both Adidas and Converse. Like, I will spend hours and hours in the evening custom designing shoes that I won't buy. <laughs> but I save all the designs. I'm like, how about this one? And have I you have ever a- ordered any? Oh, yeah, I've, I've, I have a couple pair. Okay. I have a, I have a hot pink pair. Oh, my God. And a bright yellow pair. And... Um, that you designed. That I designed. Yeah. Um, My husband's the same way. He loved, when he, when I showed him that, I was like, look what Adidas is doing. Hours and hours he spent oh crafting his own. And he, I was like, can you please just buy that? Like he, same thing. He would just do it and not buy them. And so finally one Christmas I said, you design them and that will be my present for you. And he loves them so much. 
it's a creative black hole. Yeah. But so, so I really, you know, when my husband and I got married a couple years ago, officially, you know, we've been together for 20 plus years. Um, I told him I wanted to get a custom pair of sneakers for our ceremony. So he bought me a gold custom made pair of Adidas superstars. And I love them so much. Oh my gosh. Um, I actually wear them out into the bee yard. Um, <gasps> because it's like honey's like liquid gold. So I just, you know, he's a little upset that I wear them out there, but I just, I love them so much. Oh, like, that's really awesome. Great. What and did then, he wear? Um, he just had some wingtips or something. (laughs) That is fantastic. I love that you wear them out with your bees. I do. I, yeah. All the things you love in one place. I also love crazy socks. So I I have lots of socks. Um, like with things like patterns or with things on them. Yeah. All different kinds of patterns. Happy socks are my favorite because they're just so, they're so crazy. Um, all kinds of patterns and prints and I just, just bought my son a pair of um and I got they didn't have any for my for Greg for, that would fit him but so Charlie got there I forget what the brand is but something to do with like pairs or duos or something so one of his socks is um they're s'more socks so one sock yeah. is um chunks of chocolate like and they have little faces on them and graham crackers and then the other sock is covered in little marshmallow guys and then wow. I got what I love chips and dip. Like, like it's a problem. Ooh. It's a problem how much I love them. And so oh, one sock, dip. what's oh. that? French onion dip. <gasps> I know. I just don't talk about it, Charles. Oh, oh God. I'm trying to make my jeans fit again after wearing like stretchy you shorts all summer. Seriously. I say the same thing. Whenever I think about something that I really want that's terrible, I just say, you know what? I like my pant size. Yeah. <laughs> but then and sometimes, it, it, sometimes wait, that, that's what I ask for at Christmas. Greg just fills my stocking with chips. Oh, no. Yeah, I love it. I just see them poking out, and I'm like, I know what the rest of my day is. I just watch movies and eat chips. So I got socks. So there's one side chips and the other side little dips. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Isn't that the best? Anyway, and they didn't have any for Greg that, that, you know, were truly – there was taco ones, but I was like, he doesn't really like taco. You have to – the sock has to really, truly represent you and your passions. Yes, for sure. Yeah. You know that our prime minister is a big sock guy. I know. Yeah. He's very cute. Yeah, I know. Cute and good socks. Um, Unlike the troll we have. I know. See, we're not going to go there because that will be two hours of yeah. what we'll yeah. need tequila for that for sure. And then you're going to go outside and get stung. So he doesn't we, deserve to be talked about. No, he doesn't. Um, okay, so this is the final question. Okay. New York pizza, hell yes or hell no? Oh. I'm gonna say hell yes. Okay. Mm. I've never had I've never had the New York like greasy fold it in half like that's what it's supposed to be right. Yeah, it, that's the New York thing. And yeah. pizza pizza is everywhere. Yeah. I mean, you just you can get a slice to go anywhere. And I would say that's the one thing that always is slightly annoying whenever we travel somewhere in the United States is like, why can't I just get one slice? <laughs> I just I don't want the whole pie. Yeah, just you give know. me a slice. We're from New York yeah. here. But, you know, that, like, Chicago deep dish style, you know, I remember from Pizza Hut growing up, you know, that was, they had that deep dish. Yeah, I remember. In the 80s. The, but, first, um, the first time I went to Paris with Greg, uh, you yeah. know when you, when you travel and you've, like, just come from home and you're, you're tired, you're jet-lagged, and you just, 
you're not ready for the escargot. You know, like you just okay. need like you just need something comforting just I need to get a minute for snails. Yeah, that's right. You just need to get you just need to get through it. And so we were on the Champs Elysees and we found this Chicago deep dish place in Paris. Yeah. Best piece I've ever had in my whole life. Oh my god, amazing. And it was like an inch, I wanna say even deeper than that. Like I don't two inches deep of just cheese and oh my wow. gosh, it was fantastic. Well that's sort of like souffle. I mean yeah. you know. <laughs> wow, well, it's got its Parisian twist. Okay, well Ooh. next time in I'm in New York I'll have to do the slice. I don't know how I've never done that. Yeah. I mean, it's any corner. I mean, you know, then you can get down into the minutia of like whose is better or not, but um, Right, because isn't it some of it bad? That's why I said hell yes or hell no, because I've heard some of it is just like greasy well, cardboard. Yeah, if you, I mean, if you if you go to a pizza place that's more like a deli kind of situation, it can be kind of greasy and gross. Um, but if you go if you go to like a, a better place, um, and I I can't even really recommend what because you know that'll be another heated debate. Right. But I don't want to put you in that spot. If you go if you go to like a better pizza place. Uh, it it's not like that at all. I mean, you know, when we used to live on DeVoe Street in uh, Williamsburg, Sal's Pizza right on the corner. I mean, that was a pretty good slice, you know. <laughs> but just because it was convenient. But um, also the old uh, Grimaldi's um, over there in um, Dumbo, they make a really mean pizza, and that is definitely classic New York. Okay, okay, good to know. So, yeah. Well, thanks, Charles. That that now I know about the pizza. Yes, pizza. Uh, yeah, all the stuff, and um, that was so. I'm so glad that we did this because yeah, I thank just. You for me. Of course, yeah. I mean, I just got a snippet of your story at Collage Fest, and I was like, oh, I need. I have a lot of questions, and um, I'm so glad to know you a little bit more and to hear the uh, whole story. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Yeah, so fun. Well, enjoy the Catskills. Say hi to your bees for me. I will. And um, I will talk to you soon. Okay. Let me know if you need anything else. We'll see you later. Okay. Bye. Bye. Charles? Still there? Okay. So that was so much fun. Yes, it was awesome. I loved that. Thank you. Of course. Of course. Email me your address and I will send you some honey. (gasps) No. Yes, indeed. And you know what I didn't ask you? Yeah. Do you have like beautiful kick-ass labels for your honey? I do, yeah. Of course you do, because you're a designer. Well, Martin and I, we started this. This is partly why we moved up here to Catskills, is we started this brand called Two Queens. Oh, my God. That is the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and, uh, well, originally it started with um, just me and the bees. Like, it was Two Queens was me and the bees, but then Martin joined in. So, but, and our little tagline is coffee, tea, and bees. Oh, my God. So, he roasts the coffee. I, I do the tea and the honey, and then we have, like, soap and hand cream made with our honey. Wow. It's like a, like a whole product line. If you just Google number two, yeah. queenshoney.com, so twoqueenshoney.com, you can see And do you stuff. have, like, do you have a little shop up there now, or are you just selling online? No, we don't have a shop. We sell at farmer's markets, and then we do a lot of um, uh, wholesale accounts. Oh, okay. And, Would you ever open a little shop up there, or no? Well... We're working towards it. Right now, we're in the process of trying to buy a larger coffee roaster. Oh, okay. And then we're going to move into, like, a little shop because um, we're going to need to have a bigger space. That uh, sounds right amazing. Yeah. Right now, we just rent a commercial kitchen, like, in town, and 
we do it all there, but we're going to, it's getting to the point now where we're going to need something bigger. And, um, see, there's the other thing that bees led you to. I know, right? It's crazy. Oh, it so sounds when amazing. I'm, when I'm not making collages, I'm like packing tubes of tea and putting labels on honey. <laughs> that sounds yeah. like a pretty good life. Yeah. It's awesome. Yay. Oh, I'm going to cut that little chunk of conversation out and tack it in at the end because Okay. Let's let's promote the two queens and that yeah, just sure. uh, and I knew I was thinking as you were talking like anytime I do anything on the side, the branding always rocks because it's what I know. <laughs> you know? And, and, and so and it's so fun to do that part of it. Yes. Well, and you know, I obsessed about the label for like 7 years. I mean, Yeah, I'm sure. And I finally got to a place where um, I knew I was there when the customers would come up to the table and be like, your packaging is gorgeous. And I was like, okay, I need to stop. Because I was con- constantly picking at it. And Martin would always say to me, he's like, it's done. Leave it. It's done. Yeah, like, it's no. hard when it's your own brand because when it's a client, totally. you finish it and you hand it over and you invoice. But when it's yours, right. it's just sitting there. Yeah, and, I you know. know some of the- some of the products in the early days, we were just like printing labels one at a time. So I'm like, well, I can tweak it the next time. Yeah. You know. But have you stopped now? I have, because now you know we buy, you know, large rolls of labels. Right, so I have right, to admit, right. You know, but. Um, well, that's cool. Okay, I'm gonna throw that in there so people can see and go order some honey and some soap. Yeah, please, awesome. <laughs> okay, all right. I will talk to you later. Tell Martin I say hi. I will. Okay. Thank you so much, Anna. We'll okay. see you later. Okay. Bye. Yep, I just kept it all in there. Phone calls from doctors, sidebars about small town living, and yes, I did the are you still there thing and included everything about his honey business owned by two queens. (laughs) See, isn't he hilarious and smart? I wish we'd had watermelon jalapeno margaritas, though. Although maybe hold the tequila. Thank you so much to Charles for taking time away from his bees to talk to me. Thanks to Sachi Art for supporting this episode. And, of course, as always, thank you for listening. There will be more art for your ear next weekend. See you then.